Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Lisa Kwonga. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, I don't know anymore. I don't know what I am. I don't. Am I Everton? Am I Liverpool? Am I Fish? Am I Fowl? I don't know what I am. I am still Ryan Hunt, just about. Hang on. I'm not sure what I am, Ryan. I'm not sure what, what I am. What is anything? What is anything? What is life? What is football? How are you, anyway? I am. I'm actually really, really tired because I spent the entire weekend watching football and trying to make sure I'd seen the football properly. So I then didn't catch the Aston Villa Liverpool because I had an evening engagement. So watch the entire thing. Obviously watch the entire thing. I'm yeah. Start <laughs> to finish, yeah. Which is great. No, I watched, so I've watched the entire game. Also watched the NBA finals, Miami Heat mm. beating the Lakers who actually weirdly enough in the theme of this, this weekend never looked fully at it. And this is the thing about the theme of these games. I think the one constant theme is if you didn't turn up on your game as the favourite, you were getting done this weekend. I think that's a theme throughout all the games I saw, whether they were football or any other sport this weekend. Like, if you weren't on your game, you were getting got. Oh, yes. Uh, so today... <laughs> Where do we even start? Well, I mean, before we begin, I got a message off my dad this morning. I think he's clocked that he's starting to get mentions again. I go for it. This is essential content. Because he timed, he timed this perfectly. So I got a text at 8.30 this morning off him saying, what a weekend of upsets. Thought Lamella was a disgrace and should have gone for play acting. Our Liverpool showing a few frailties. Have a good show. Talk later in the week. So he knows. He knows. He knows. He, knows, he, knows he can sense it. I told you, man. I told you when, he, when there was a glimpse of crack in America, <laughs> dad was straight back on it. <laughs> Famous at hand. Dad's like, it's my time. From the chaos emerges a new hero. It's Everton's time. That's what it is. But well, it's going to be quite Premier League heavy today, I think. Yep. We hope you will forgive us for that, but I think it deserves it. We'll talk about a couple of other things later on in the show, but I think the Premier League was so wild this weekend that it's going to take a while. Yeah, the question is not so much where we start as where we finish, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this was extraordinary. Yeah. Before we get on, we just need to do a bit of admin. So yep, yep. I will have a new piece up on The Ringer probably Tuesday. It's going to be about Dortmund. So make sure you look out for that. TheRinger.com forward slash soccer. You had a really good piece that went up just after we recorded the show on Thursday about penalties. Oh, thank you. Which was timed so perfectly because it was ahead of the Arsenal-Liverpool, well, Liverpool-Arsenal penalty shootout where Ainsley Maitland-Niles stole the show again. Right. As a penalty taker. What a penalty and, taker. And uh, capped it off with a big old grin. <laughs> Tactic, strategy, yeah, so that's up. I'm really glad about those pieces because it's about, um, and it's like, you know, your piece about embracing chaos, which is funny because you were talking about that two weeks before I think you wrote it and published it. And you were talking about expecting like astonishing and bizarre results this season. And it was completely right. Like I, my only regret is you didn't write it, you know, two weeks even earlier because it would have been even more prescient, which is like when you felt it. But my God, the Premier League this week, this weekend was Mind blown. It was. So let's, uh, let's get into the, the blown minds. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. After, after this. This episode is brought to you by Viore. 
I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, so let's begin Premier League. So I'm going to start with a few tweets just from people just to set the tone. Kunle Ajayo, has anyone tried turning 2020 off and on again? <laughs> Gary McCarvey, I hope I pronounced that right, Gary. In light of what has happened in the Premier League this week, could you explain for us what exactly is going on? <laughs> Patrick Corcoran, it's quite simple what the heck is happening. Shy and Maddy, ignore teams. Is the Premier League just one big catfish? <laughs> Pete Buscini, what the actual F is happening? There were so many of these tweets. This one, I love this one from Clanger Pat, who is a Liverpool fan. Can I have a hug? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm tempted to break the social distancing just for that, just, just for Clanger Pat, honestly. Big, big, big virtual hug. Uh, Alex Cummer, what is happening? Phil Hartup, why? <laughs> Rich Newbold, is this the most dehydrating fi- pair of fixtures ever? <laughs> we'll get onto that in a little bit. Amlan Sanyal, what energy is this? Penge Dragon, just leave it, guys. See you Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, though, on Saturday, you and I went for a coffee. It's not seen each other for a while, have we? Yep, yep. And it's so weird because we, for those who don't know, we don't do this in the same room. We haven't done the podcast in the same room since March. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We haven't seen each other for a while. So we went for a coffee on Saturday and I uh, finally let Musa live out his dream of posting some official Stadio predictions. Yes. I posted a little video on Twitter. And you said you're expecting some dehydrated results, I think. Yeah, dehydrated results. Expect them. They're coming. I think the thing that symbolises just how unbelievable, really, this weekend was in the Premier League was that you had probably the best game of the season so far on Saturday. And no one's talking about it. And no one's talking about it already. So... Shall we begin with Villa and Liverpool? We have to. I think this is a really hard game to analyse. I actually think the Man United Spurs one is a little easier to analyse, but I think the, the Villa-Liverpool game is a little bit harder because when big upsets like this happen, mm. there tends to be a big sweeping judgment as to why a result happened. People, mm. try, and, people try and concise it into like a, a sentence. You know, this is why this happened. This is why this happened. The thing that I thought watching the game was that it was like a little a load of little micro triggers that seemed to add up to the overall result. And it began with that Adrian error. 
everything kind of came together for Villa in terms of Ross Barkley and Jack Grealish just linked up straight away and looked like they'd been playing together forever. What, what struck me about Villa's performance the other day, this Atletico Madrid is how you do it. This is how you do counterattack. Villa had 30% possession, right? They played a midfield mm. three because I'm, I'm really angry at Atleti for this one thing. It's, they don't play with a midfield three. And the teams that basically destroyed on the counter, destroyed them, have a midfield three and a really enterprising front three that presses. They don't sit and wait. And it's strange because, not to make this too much about Atleti, they're a counter-attacking team that don't counter. It's bizarre. It's weird. It's so weird. And Villa, this was, I've never seen a weekend of football results of counter-attacking where you could base just like, you could publish this as a box set. Because for all the flaws of the teams that were thrashed, for the flaws of United, the flaws of Liverpool, I want to emphasise the beauty of what Villa did. Louise, mm-hmm. McGinn, Barkley, the way they moved, interchanged, the way Greenish pulled wide. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful coaching from Dean Smith. There was such a pleasure. This was the thing, the one thing that was, the thing that lessened the pain of United um, being thrashed like that. And the thing that gave me... Well, I mean, a 7-2 Liverpool defeat is going to do it for United. Well, weirdly, right? no, weirdly enough, actually, because I, I am... Um, this sounds ridiculous, but I was just really, really happy for Villa because they had a really tough year last year. Grealish hasn't really got the shine he deserved um, at international level. And it was always sort of fated to be a kind of lone ranger at Villa. But with Barkley now, it was funny. I sent a video to a friend of mine, shout out to, to Chris Slade. I sent, I sent a, a video to Chris Slade of um, the MC novelist and one of his mates going back to back in a rhyme duo. And I was like, that's like Greedish and Barkley going back to back. Two MCs in a cipher just going, you know. We said, man, we said that that holiday is going to be great. They just have you that know, energy, don't they? They're just like, yeah, straight away. <laughs> but I think, I think last week, um, in the aftermath of the Chelsea, uh, in the aftermath of the West Brom Chelsea game, we didn't touch on West Brom too much because obviously Chelsea pulled them back. And I think, I think it was Leo Watkins on Twitter mm. hit us up about that. And I think rightly so, to be honest. I think we, we had so much to get through last week like we do this week. I think we skipped over West Brom a little bit. Yeah. What you're seeing is a really high technical level at clubs who are coming into the league now. Yeah. And, you know, Slavin Bilic isn't a dreadful coach. In, much in the same way that Villa kind of gave Liverpool a bit of a sting, West Brom did so against Chelsea by, there seems to be, from an eye test point of view, I'm sure this is a little bit of a weak theory but I think that clubs that are used to finishing or expected to finish lower down the table are becoming more efficient because they have to be yes and I actually think that the way that the game has moved over the last couple of years allows them to do so because just the athletic level of every side in the league now as a base level is obscene and that allows teams like Villa and West Brom to do exactly what kind of Villa did to Liverpool, which is just use their biggest strength and make it their biggest weakness because they have so much space now because so many teams are playing high lines. The directness, which is, I think, what is the key word here, direct football, not long ball football, because I think even Klopp mentioned something about it, how like, you know, they just played really well. They played really smart, targeting certain areas of the pitch and going direct because that's the best way to escape pressing. Yeah, of course. Sides like Villa who can afford to go to the championship and but which I think is also like a really athletically strong league. You know, you have a lot of really physical yeah, my God. Like physical strength in the championship is it's big. Yeah. 
you know, to take someone like Ollie Watkins from Brentford for 30 million euros and he comes in and scores a hat-trick. I think you're going to see a lot more of that this season. I think the one thing that I would say is that there's something going on with the high line issue. It's almost like just, you know, stick to the plan, stick to the plan. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. And we've seen now a few times that it actually hasn't been okay. But we saw that. That's what Valdez did at Barca though. With, uh, when, when Pep was like, um, Victor Valdez made an absolute howler early in the Clasico that gifted a lead to Real. And mm. Pep came out afterwards and said, no, like the thing is that he just, we just kept playing his game. Like Victor kept playing his passes. And that's the thing. It's almost, it's a percentages thing. Over the course of a season, a, a choice has clearly been made to keep playing that way because that's what yields the most chances over mm. time, the high line. And if that's why I think, I think it's come down to that. There was a moment actually when um, I was talking to, is it A.D. Boothroyd um, about a couple of years after he'd left Watford? And he was talking about, everyone goes, well, why don't you mark the near post? Because there's goals scored there. And he said, a really tiny percentage of goals are scored in that area. That's when mm. no one marks it because the percentage based it take that you shouldn't mark it because it's like 6% are scored from that at that point in time. And I think the same is true of the high line that the glaring errors that we see make it look worse as a strategy than it is because when it's working, we don't notice it. We just mm. go, oh, like, oh, but now we're like, oh my God, the high line, the high yeah, line. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that's a really good, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying by that is that maybe clubs are more capable of attacking a high line than they were. I mean, you saw it with Bayern. You've seen it at, yes. at massively yeah. elite levels. So I think, you know, like Leon caused them some problems in the Champions League. Mm. Um, Hertha caused them a problem on the weekend, you know, came from 2-0 down to, to equalise and then equalised again at 3-0 and ultimately lost the game due to a late penalty. But still, I think that this is, I think that uh, as the money swells in certain leagues, you know, I mean, Hertha are a really weird, weird example. We'll touch on them later maybe, but you know, they signed Jeff Rennie Adelaide from Lyon and they've just signed Matteo Guendouzi on loan from Arsenal. That's a great signing. Like, I love that signing, you know. Hey, my, my, they both my, need, that's my perfect. Ex, my ex sons, maybe, maybe they can get Gunnosaurus as well. Oh, oh no. Yeah, Gunnosaurus. Gunnosaurus. Yeah. The latest, we shouldn't laugh because he's the latest victim of He's welcome. Arsenal's he's welcome here. Oh my God, actually, that'd be perfect promo. He's so can welcome. We, can we maybe get like a Stadio Kickstarter just to hire Gunasaurus and call him Stadiosaurus? That was so heartbreaking that. I mean, I mean, I only caught it just before we started recording. So I'd like to read a little bit more about it before I really go into yeah, it. Fair because, enough. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, Villa have won their first three games of the season and are looking really strong. I think the signing of Barkley is, I mean, Ollie Watkins was a great signing anyway. I think Barkley is a really clever signing from Dean Smith and Villa because it takes the load off of Grealish and it takes the pressure off of Grealish. I love everything about it, yeah. Those two are going to cause some, some trouble this season. Hopefully, yeah, not actual trouble off the pitch, just on the pitch. But um, I can just imagine, I can imagine Barkley and Grealish getting a curry in Birmingham. I can just so see them, like, I can just so see them out in town just having like a good time. Yeah. Not, not in a wild, just having a good time out in town. I can so see it. Paying for everyone's in there, just randomly not telling them. Yeah, they just out. they just seem like you know, just a load of, load of old brummies in a in a car or in a fish and chip shop. I reckon they got fish and chip shop energy. Yeah, they have come. I've come on, of course. They won one of their opening seven last season, Villa. So just so happy for them. Yeah, because this is the thing about Villa. I mean, I, I when I did that piece recently about Thiago, James, and Bale in the piece, I called Everton a big club, and someone's only response to me on Twitter was like, "How are Everton a big club?" how we define tiers of football clubs, I think is a little bit warped sometimes. You know, it isn't just small, medium, big. I think there are the super clubs, the giant clubs, there are big clubs. 
and I think Villa are absolutely a, a big club. Yeah. They're a massive club, yeah, actually. They are. They are. Like they are a European Cup winner, a club with a massive history, successful history. When we were growing up, Villa were a big deal. They're a big deal. Yeah, and the same with Everton. You know, the same with like Newcastle. You know, let's not get it twisted. These are big clubs, but they're like the really, really deep roots of the of the of the first division. Like, and without in the first division, with if you look, if you scan at the start of a season, and Villa and Everton aren't there, it's not right. Like, it's not right that Everton and Villa aren't in the mix. And you know, knowing those towns, those areas, I'm just really excited that those fans have not only going teams that are like, you know, getting great results, but playing football that is true to those traditions. Like the way that Villa played, that is the Villa tradition. That is the style. Mm. Like, you know, Gordon Cowan's front foot, smooth passing, Everton, that's like 70s, like Harry Catterick. That's like, that's like Alan Ball. That is like old, like the old dudes and the old women, like watching those games, the season ticket holders in their eighties, watching Everton from home at this point are like, that's my Everton. That's mm. what I love about it. It's recognisable. And one thing I want to say about um, Everton as well, very quickly, just jumping across to them. Well, let's, let's touch on Everton before we go to a Should break. Do that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, very quickly. So I was thinking about this and I was thinking, Hamas Rodriguez, basically, Everton is like, it's his Colombia, isn't it? Yeah. Like, if you think of like, the coach with nothing to prove, the striker basically finishing like Falcao, the team built around him. And I, the reason I thought this is because I, when he scored his first goal, his celebration, I mean, I know it was a sort of tap-in, but just the way he celebrates with his teammates and the way they clearly already love him, like he's a brilliant player, but he's clearly a good dude. I'm like, that was like, when, when he used to score for Colombia, they used to like, he's a popular guy, right? And mm-hmm. they just kind of surrounded him in a pack. And it just reminded me of that. It's like, he's just as happy. I haven't seen him look that happy since he played for Colombia. That makes sense. Yeah, Sana Qureshi said that she really liked um, him pointing to Alex Awobi and searching almost. Yeah, he ran around the goal. Like he did a little detour, yeah. like detour around the goal around the to goal. go and find Awobi. And that's that's a really nice um, little trait in football that I like when 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 you know someone who's you've scored it, but it's not really your goal. Yeah, I love it. That makes I love sense. it. That's one of my favorite celebrations, actually, where people go to the assist maker. Just, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Two goals and an assist for James Rodriguez. Another goal for Dominic Calvert Lewin. Yerry Mina scored as well. Yeah. I really love the celebration for Yerry Mina. <laughs> I mean, some of those dance moves need a bit of, but yeah, I mean, I love, yeah, I love the collective. But the, the slow-mo wiggly bums. So good. It was really great. It was a really great, like, you know, hey, there's some great bums in that Everton team. <laughs> <laughs> that new Hummel Everton kit is very, uh, you know, it accentuates the, the bums. And they've definitely been on the Stairmaster as well. That's for sure. Lots of work on the Stairmaster. <laughs> yeah nice slow-mo wiggly bum replay <laughs> again another really impressive win for Everton who are top of the league 12 goals in four games they're conceding a little bit as well but they've conceded only what one point one point two five goals a game they're conceding which I think if you compare it to Liverpool who have already conceded a third of the entire goals that they conceded in the league last season mm. Everton are looking super good I mean could you have imagined as much as we I don't say we have a soft spot for Everton, but they're a side that we want to... Yeah, do well. We want to do well. Could you have imagined going into the October international break that they would be top of the league with a maximum record? Not remotely. Not remotely. And actually, I want to say something about this as well. One of those results. The early win that they got over Spurs. 
Yes. At the time, it was seen as a sign of Spurs' weakness. Actually, it's a sign. We're going to reinterpret that result later as a sign of Everton's strength. Mm. Those two teams could conceivably be doing something very interesting come March. I think May is a bit early to call, but, but come March, those two teams could be conceivably in the mix. They could be. Well, one sec, we had a question. Uh, one from Matt Brown. Which Everton kit should I buy? Asking as a long-time fan who has just never publicly announced it. <laughs> <laughs> I buy the yellow one. That yellow Everton kit is amazing. I, actually, I, I go old school and go back and buy the 95 FA Cup final one. Oh, Danker. Yeah. I go back and get Danker that. Danker as a sponsor. Or, or actually, do you know what? Do you know what? Actually, no, let's, let's be precipitate. Go back to the, the mid-80s. Get the mid-80s kit if you can. With the diamond, yeah. the, yellow, the white diamond collar. Yeah. Because thing, that yeah. actually... Do you know, I want, I want to see more kind of like ex-Everton like players coming out, not necessarily for punditry, but just like coming and doing like some sort of ad spots and just to kind of get that heritage thing going again, because they must be so thrilled with this. Yeah. This is the best Everton I've seen just, since the 80s. It's just, a, it seems like a very, very happy club at the moment, especially with the women doing so well in the Women's Super League as well. You know, another win on the weekend. Uh, yeah. Wow. Level on points with Arsenal. They are coming. They are wow. looking really good. It's another really, really great week for Everton as a club as a whole. For Carlo Ancelotti as well, despite I think him doing probably a little bit of a better job at Napoli than people gave him credit for. Yes. His stock has started to fall a little bit, I think, as a manager. I don't think that's unfair to say. I think that after the stints at PSG and Bayern, mm. I think that people were starting to question him a little bit. I really loved his post-match interview where he just said football's a simple game. You have good players. You know, the, the pitch is the same size. The goal's the same. You have good players. You don't really, you know, it was like, the, he was basically downplaying the coaching. He was just like, you have good players, you put them in the right places. Do you know what? I was just like, yeah, but actually, mm. that's, a, that's a type of coaching. Do you know what's interesting though? In a season of chaos, a simple approach is cutting through. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Let's go to a break quickly, but just before we do, I want to rattle off a couple of questions because we've kind of covered them. So, yep, sure. Sarah Sashadri, I hope I pronounced that right, Sarah, sorry. Will Villa win the Premier League or will it be favourites Everton? Holly Balleen says, has Villa now moved into the catfish category based on the result and the start to the season and the signings we made? I think, personally, I'd just say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about whether you're a catfish or not. And uh, just, just enjoy it and we'll see, basically, in in a little while. But I don't think, because there was no expectations at the start of the season. There weren't expectations. Think... Yeah, you can't be. There, there have to be expectations. And I, weirdly enough, Everton didn't have those wild expectations because we downgraded them. We thought, you know, just let them play their football. Yeah. Let them just have fun, to be honest. And I, I think when I, when I saw Villa stay up, I was just kind of happy for them and just thought staying up is just, you know, stay up and consolidate if you can. That's a big deal. Everton, similarly, when James Rodriguez went there, I was just like, oh, look, okay, good. He'll be happy there. Like, just go to club mm. where you'll be happy. Ancelotti, the great hire. So there was no kind of, they didn't put targets on their backs. That's the thing. You know, Chelsea yeah. put a target on their back, which is why they are one of the front runners for this thing, I think, in terms of- and the catfish. Yeah, they have to be. Just like any, any club that makes, makes a big outlay. I think United as well, because United's big outlay late in the window as well, puts them in the window. Um, they're kind of a perennial, to be honest. You know, they're a perennial for that. But yeah. Um, final ones before we go to a break. Christian, Christian Brody says, who should be the new United manager to which Lewis Arnold responded, Dean Smith. <laughs> Dean Smith should go to Atleti. Oh, stop it. Dean I'm going to write him. No, I'm going to mute him. Let's go to a break. 
<laughs> this episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right, we're back from the break. And we have to go there. We have to go to Old Trafford. Yep, yep. Let's Let's talk about your... Beloved Manchester United. Let's do it, let's do it. Who lost six goals to one against Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, where do we even... This was basically like the whole of the second half against Southampton in 90 minutes for Spurs. Yeah, although this was... I I don't know how to analyse... Let me try and analyse this um, in a way that is fair to Spurs and the outstanding performance, but also is rightly critical of United in a way that is hopefully original. Um, Watching the all or nothing documentary was interesting because you see the roots of what Mourinho was trying to do come to fruition here. The improvement in Ndombele, you know, it's funny because when Ndombele had a bad start at Spurs, my initial reaction was, has Mourinho gone after him? But you see the documentary, it's a bit more nuanced and there were challenges in adapting. But now Ndombele is the player that he should be. And Seb Stafford made a great point. Mourinho deserves great credit for that. Absolutely. And it's funny because you had Bale and you've got Bale who's injured, but I actually think this is arguably Spurs' best 11 in terms of best in terms of balance, best starting 11. Because I'd maybe swap out Lamella for Bale. I'm not sure though, because I think that Lamella, I thought this at first, but then I thought actually as a starting 11, the intangible things that Lamella gives you, the grit, the bite, the work ethic, the graft. It's like, you know, it's like Pedro. You know, Pedro isn't a better player than David Villa. But in certain contexts, Pedro was a better person to combine with than Villa was in certain contexts. Mm. Um, Because he fits the configuration, he fits the kind of nasty that Mourinho wants right now. I think that Lamella is the kind of interesting sort of X factor in this team. Like Bale's a better player, but in terms of a fit for what Spurs were doing, I'm not sure that Bale would have been more destructive than Lamella was. That, that has a, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's how I sort of, he's almost like a kind of Firmino type player in terms of the intensity he brings to that press. Um, so I, I want to give Spurs credit there just to start with, because... Well, I mean, let's, let's carry on on Spurs for a little bit yeah, before okay. we move on to United. Okay, yeah, sure, because sure, I think sure. we just, yeah. like, I think... I don't want to brush over it, thing, yeah, because it was X. No, not at all. I think one of the things that I was, well, one of the players I was super impressed with was Hoiberg. Because we said at the, I think at the beginning of the season that the signings of Hoiberg and... Doherty for where Spurs wanted to be felt quite underwhelming yeah I don't think that's massively harsh yeah but what this has done and actually maybe Spurs have been really smart here is it's given them genuine options and options for different configurations yes and I think that the the balance that that midfield gave 
with Hoybear, Sissoko and Ndombele, mm. I thought was like genuinely eye-catching. It's a brutal midfield. It, it, was a, it was a configuration that I didn't think would be something that they would run with that often this season. However, in terms of how it fit, I mean, maybe this was a little bit in thanks to Manchester United's midfield, but they just looked really good. And, if, and I was looking through the bench. I mean, you have Ben Davies on the bench, who I think is a really, really good left back. Yep. Toby Alderweireld was on the bench. Deli Ali was on the bench. Now we know the issues around Deli Ali. Great option though. Harry Winks, Mac Doherty and Lucas Moura. Now that is actually a super, super strong 11 and bench because one of the things that absolutely killed Spurs last season was the lack of depth. And you still um, have Lo Celso thought, and Bale to come back as well. Exactly. And obviously um, Vinicius. Yeah. Who they've signed. Wow. Yeah. We can link it to Manchester United in a sec, but I think from my point of view, we've been a little bit critical of Spurs and rightly so. As we mentioned before, Mourinho, when we were talking about him being that kind of, you know, intergalactic smuggler of, you know, an old Han Solo kind of guy yeah. on an early episode of Stadio when we were on the ringer. This is one of those times where he comes up good, but there's also that motivation there. You know, like he will want to go to Old Trafford and make a point yes I'm still a little bit on the fence about whether this will be able to turn into something long term that's really really great for Spurs just because there's always that element of it's never being too far away from just imploding with Mourinho I think however I think that there are signs of real positivity there for Spurs and they looked really really good on the weekend they did they did they looked really good they looked crisp I think this is the one thing sorry I know I've been rambling for a little bit but I think where so many teams are looking jaded there's actually a point I want to touch on about this before we wrap up from the Premier League in a bit. But Son and Kane looked like as good as I've seen them, actually. Kane's been recovering from that injury, though. This thing, the hamstring injury that he got, started mm. the pandemic. He's had his rest and his conditioning. He was so determined, so desperate to get back. They call these things, you know, in basketball, they call them the intangibles. The intangibles of Harry Kane's desperation to get back to where he was. Mm. And he's recovered from that. And the healing, like his recuperation, it's weird, his recuperation period perfectly aligned with the pandemic, right? So Harry yeah. Kane is probably in his, in his best shape that he's been in for a while. And now the attacking burden has been lifted because you've got bail. So psychologically, you haven't got to do it all. Then you've got the intangible stuff for people like Sissoko. Sissoko actually, I think for both France and Spurs, has had a couple of occasions where because of the lack of attacking options for Spurs, and weirdly in that time for France, he was pushed into attacking positions that weren't really his forte. And now that he doesn't have to worry about being a goal scorer and can just sh- or, or someone that has to like finish chances or be in a position to finish, he can shuttle really effectively, right? And so now he has a role, a limited brief where it's like break up play, also initiate, and he's super happy. So like all these things, you've got, you look around the pitch and look at all the Spurs players and it is the opposite of what Mourinho had to some extent at United, everyone fits. And you know, Hoiberg like never fully got his props at Munich or never got his chance at Munich for various reasons. Was at Augsburg, was at Southampton, never really got his shine. And this is a player with real pedigree. This is a proud footballer who has finally got his platform, like his moment. And it's really exciting for all of them. There's all this sort of, they've all got a bit of an edge. They've all got a bit of a point to prove. They've all got a bit more nasty. And the stars are kind of, and uh, the stars aligning for them is a bit, it implies, it's, wow. it, no, it, impli- it implies, it implies it's not by design and it implies it's more by luck. I don't think it's so much luck. I think it's actually, they're perfectly placed to take advantage of 
the chaos. Because in a time when other teams are chaotic and the results are chaotic, Spurs know what they're doing. It just all seems a little bit quieter than it was on the opening weekend of the season, where it yeah. was looking like it could be really quite dreadful, actually. He's not melting really down. Long season yeah, Marina's not melting down. Yeah. You know, a 7-2 in the week, a 6-1 on the weekend. I mean, I don't think Mourinho, after the Newcastle game, would have been able to... I don't think he could have hoped for a week that they've had, considering the fixture pile-up they've had. Yeah. But shall we move on to Manchester United? Yeah. Should we start with a question? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, from Christine Coupo. Shout out to Christine. Should Oli have been fired yesterday or yesterday? And can they afford Poch? It's a weird one, I think. They can't. Here's the thing. They can't afford not to appoint Pochettino. I would praise it that way. They can't afford not to appoint him um, from a footballing perspective. The sad thing is, of course, and the tragedy of Manchester United is that they're Icarus permanently falling from the sky. They thought they could run a football club while not caring about football. They thought that was actually going to work and it's not. It's never going to work. And they are now a demonstration of what can never, ever happen to your club. It's interesting, people going around Newcastle, don't let, this, don't let these people buy you. And it's like the worst in many ways, the worst hasn't quite happened because there are still worse owners of United out there, possibly. But United are almost as bad as it can get. It's almost as bad in terms of an ownership. Um, should Solskjaer have been sacked yesterday? No, because... If you're going to sack him yesterday, you sack him months before that. The flaws that were apparent yesterday have been apparent for a while. And looking at United, you know, the mark of um, a really good coach is to improve players. Mourinho struggled at the start with Spurs, but he's improved in Dombele. Uh, Ancelotti has improved Calvert-Lewin beyond recognition. Arteta has improved so many players at Arsenal beyond recognition. His tragedy, Arteta's tragedy is that in a season where all he needs is one more signing to galvanise that team. He probably won't get it. That's Arteta's tragedy. And whatever happens to Arsenal this year will not be for lack of Arteta's quality and it will not be for the lack of his players making an effort. They just don't have the extra element that they deserve. Solskjaer deserves criticism. We'll get to that in a moment. But I have to say on an individual basis, the entire performance was summed up by Harry Maguire. Mm. The opening goal from Spurs the fact that he failed to get a header after Pogba lacklustre scooped into his box, Bailly heads it, and then on three occasions, Maguire has an opportunity to clear the ball and ends up pulling his own player to the ground in desperation, trying to get to the ball and clear it. Like he has such a lack of spatial awareness at that moment that he's trying to pull his own player, who is better placed to clear the ball back. Luke Shaw pulls him to the ground. And then he gets up and he starts shouting at everyone else, which is out of embarrassment, really. You know, that moment when you, you, you're shouting, but you're really angry at yourself. I thought to myself, this is symptomatic of the fact that they don't have a plan. And, you know, players talk, players talk to each other, other clubs. And I'm sure there are rumblings of disquiet when you're going, oh yeah, Dean's got us doing these drills and Graham's got us doing this and Carlo's got us doing this. And you're talking to your own people going, whoa, like we, 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 haven't, we haven't worked on any of this. Does that make sense? Like, I'm sure there's a disquiet in the Manchester United squad about the lack of direction from Solskjaer. I think it's a really, really tricky situation, to be honest, because I think you have this weird thing with Solskjaer where I think he's quite popular within the dressing room, actually. Yeah, yeah. But caveated with the fact that, like you say, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of coaching taking place. 
I might be wrong because I'm not a Manchester United fan and I'm not super plugged into Manchester United Twitter, for example, but from what I could gauge over the last year or two, it seems to have swung from one side to the other and quite rapidly so. You know, after the PSG game in the Champions League, it was give him anything he wants, sign him up. But I think that that was also part of this trend that we've seen of kind of fans feeling like their club has come back to them mm. after being away from them for whatever reason. Yes. Because of a run of bad managers. I, th- I don't think he's ever been the saviour and I don't think he's ever been the villain. No. I think he's no. bobbed around a little bit in the middle. And actually, if I'm being honest, I would say towards the upper end of that scale. Yes, I agree. I agree. However, I still don't think he is an absolute elite level coach. If you're taking like the very, very top tier of football management in terms of what Manchester United should be going after, I think what Solskjaer has done has been overall, honestly, a good job. I agree. I agree. I don't think he's done a great job, but I also don't think that he has been given... I don't think he's operating in the optimal conditions to do a great job. And I think that a lot of people would struggle to do a great job at Manchester United at the moment. The thing that concerns me about the Poch thing is that if you look at what he wanted at Spurs in terms of he wanted a little bit more say and control in terms of who was brought in, things above him, kind of very similar to what Arteta has now got at Arsenal where he's working directly with Edu and he's overseeing more than just being the head coach. I don't think Poch gets that at Manchester United. Not long after he got fired from Spurs, I was convinced that Poch would take that job. However, the, the comments that he made about the perfect club and the perfect project, it's like we said a million times before, when your stock is that high, your next move is so crucial. Yeah. Sorry for sounding like a bit of a flip-flopper here, but it really depends on two things. I think if Poch backs his own ability to the level where he's like, it doesn't really matter what's going on above me. These guys are good enough. I can, get them co- I can coach them. He might do it. However, I think that there's so much other stuff to fix at Manchester United that he might look at it and be like, do you know what? That's not really what I want. And also, if you look at the talent there, apart from maybe like the front three, you don't have players staggered throughout that squad who are really moldable, I don't think. And I know that we've, we've been beating or I've been beating the Poch to Dortmund drum a little bit, semi-ironically, because as much as my heart wants it to happen, my head thinks it probably won't. But if you compare and contrast the two scenarios, and we'll touch on Dortmund in a little bit, a super settled, very, very functional club at operational level. And probably, this is kind of the thing I touched on in the, in the, in the piece that's going to go up on the ringer or has gone up on the ringer, depending on when you listen to this. It's hard to think of a squad in European football right now that has four, and if you include Makoku, who can play when he's turned 16 in November, five, generational talents yep. and that word gets used a lot but it's, it's legit here five generational talents in different positions yep. in the same side unreal. that are all under 21 unreal unreal what's at Dortmund yeah astonishing, so astonishing. If, if, if I was Poch and I was given the two options right now I'd be like I'll go to Dortmund oh don't it's not, it's not even close it's not even close it's not even I completely agree with that and I think that here's the thing Sorry, that was a bit of a monologue. No, 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 it's great. No, listen, I, I listened because it's essential to say that you said, you spoke my thoughts on it. Klopp had a look at, at United and was like, no, football's not a priority here. And Poch would have looked at it. And this is the thing, it's not just Poch, it's his camp, it's his people. You imagine like mm. Poch talking to maybe like United through a kind of third party or just having a look at the club. You can imagine Poch and his like, you know, brains trust sitting there, like him and his, his coaching staff 
and then just looking going, I'm not feeling it. You can imagine, because mm-hmm. listening, they got their payoff from Spurs, right? They got their payoff. They're sitting pretty for a while. They don't have to go and rush out for work for the next, you know, few months or whatever. And they're looking for the right opportunity and it's Dortmund. Just do a podcast, podcast. A podcast is Dortmund or Atleti, to be honest. It's, it's one of the two. Yeah, I agree. It's one I of the think two. those two. I think those two are the best scenarios for him to, to really go full potch. Yeah, and improve the, improve the teams by like 20%. You could see in the early stages of, well, the first 20 minutes or whatever he was in it in All or Nothing, you could see that the, the toll that the noise at Spurs was taking on potch. Yeah. I think he needs to go somewhere a little less noisy. Yes. In terms of chaos or in terms of drama at board level. That's why I think ultimately he may turn down Manchester United if they come to him. This is the thing at the moment. I have no idea whether Ed Woodward has even had those kind of conversations. And this is the worrying thing about Manchester United because they're essentially England's Barca in terms of the way they've been run over the last decade. Yes. Had it all. Yep. I think arrogance and complacency absolutely has led to this absolutely. point. To sit in Old Trafford week after week as Woodward does and look down and feel no ultimate shame is extraordinary. I want to know who he was texting. I mean, goodness me. Hopefully not Poch. I mean, you, if you get if you get a text from United at this point, you screen it. I'd love to see him there, but I don't think United in this form deserve him. They don't deserve him. Honest question. Do you think this is going to last long or do you think in a few weeks we'll be seeing the kind of like in Oli we trust kind of thing again? It will always swing back because I think it will come back to that. I think they'll get a couple of good results. Don't forget they beat Brighton 3-0 recently yeah. and then people got a bit happier again. I think it will swing back to an Oli we trust for a little bit only because Look, it's a pandemic. People want their escapism and it's really hard to be down on your team for a long time. No one really wants to like go out every week being down on who they've got in charge. So I think it will just kind of rumble along, unfortunately. I think that Solskjaer is a good enough coach to get, this is the danger of him being there. This is the danger of making a transitional appointment to a permanent solution. He's a good enough coach and he's a nice enough guy to keep getting good results here and there. So every mm. three weeks, every three to four weeks, he'll get a result. They'll make people go, oh, that's a good result. Because it will be, because yeah. it will work on the break. And you'll get a 1-0 lead or a 2-0 lead and you'll hold on to it and you'll get a third goal from somewhere. And that's unfortunately perfect for the Glazers. He's the perfect firewall. He's the perfect human shield. And the only way it really changes is if he himself gets tired of it. And I think that he, not in a selfish way, I think he loves United too much to do that. It's a dream job, isn't it? And from a professional point of view, can I be harsh about this as well? He's not getting a bigger job than that. No, no way. And I think this is also, I think, a problem for other unnamed coaches. Um, they're not going to get better jobs than the ones they've got at the moment. And that's a big problem. I'm not, I'm not going to get a better job than this. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Talking to you twice a week. Right. Right. I think... Uh, I'm the sole shower of podcast. Many better jobs out there than... <laughs> Oh seen your mug twice a week oh on Google Hangout. Ryan, the thought, the thought that you might have peaked professionally by having to engage with me twice a week is painful, but still. I'm all right with it, man. I know my level. <laughs> I know my I know level. My oh my God. <laughs> I'm punching up here, Booster. Wow, um, wow. Anyway, listen, before we move on, speaking of punching, uh, well, it, it wasn't a punch. It wasn't a punch at all, but we need to talk about the red card stuff because I can already see our mentions if we don't. Yeah, I don't think this even really deserves a huge amount of debate. I think they e- they either both go or neither of them go. Yeah, they both go. I've always thought it was a bit weird in football that you get punished for retaliation, not for initial act of aggression. I think they both go. It was just ridiculous. I can't. I'm, I can't believe that Lamella gets booked. I mean, it's ridiculous. They, they both go for that. They both go. That's how I think about it. I actually weirdly, I thought you said both off only because Lamella's action was so aggressive. 
well, to be honest, that was another, yeah, that was, was and so, also yeah. his, and his reaction to being hit was worthy of a yellow as well. I, I thought that Lamella's initial action was so aggressive. Like I thought I, that looked like a red card offence. And yeah, then Martial I, thought, I actually thought his. I actually thought his move. Sorry, I thought his move was more aggressive than Martial. I, I thought so. I was like, no, they're both red because the bar has been set. The bar has been set by the initial aggression. I think no, two reds. And I'm not trying to be biased here. I generally think that that's violent play that has no place anywhere. Do you know what would have been the absolute peak? You know, like in the NFL where the refs are mic'd up and they announce that they explain their decisions. I would have loved Anthony Taylor to brandish a yellow to Lamella, and then a red. And then turn around to Martial and just brandish a yellow and then get on the mic, you know, the little hip, press yeah, the yeah. button on the hip and be like, the Manchester United number nine flicked him in the face in retaliation. That's a booking. It was in retaliation to the Spurs number 11 elbowing him in the neck. That's a yellow card. And also his reaction is another yellow card. And therefore the Spurs number 11 has been sent off and just everyone being like, boom. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you doing? What? Like that would have actually been super fun. Um, it was the first time Anthony Taylor has sent off a Manchester United player in 32 matches. He should have sent another one off later. I think Luke Shaw should have been sent off. Oh my God. That, do you know what? That is a, one of the foul on Lucas Moura. That really was nasty. awful. That's, that was the worst thing that happened in the game from a, from a, from a violent conduct point. That's the kind of thing that shatters ankles. The speed that Lucas Moura goes at, and he knows how fast Moura is. He knows how dangerous it is. Yeah. And it was such a hack. Yeah, and he looked at him. You could see it. The ball was so far away. He, he looked at him and he was like, going for that. He should have gone for that. And you actually, know what? That reminded yeah. me of like playing at like a first year of secondary school and a side's getting absolutely hammered and someone just goes after you. That's the kind of thing that happens then or in like Sunday league. Like you saw Solskjaer's reaction. There was that amazing shot. Yeah where Mora and Shaw are running towards camera on the replay and Solskjaer's behind them. You see him just go absolutely mad about it. The sad thing about Luke Shaw is that his past is behind him. And it's sad. It's really sad. I mean, that's, that's in, I mean injury was a huge factor in that with Shaw. It's a huge yeah. factor. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really a huge factor. Let's, let's, not, let's not sort of discount that. But just he seeing... He's still only 25 years old though. Yeah, but there's a trajectory. There's a... There's, you need the coaching, the development, the back four, the stable, but you need a unit where you can grow within it. Like you look at like Robertson at Liverpool and how he's developed within a secure system where you know what's happening. You know, Shaw is just like being shifted around from system to system to system. And there's something so poignant about seeing one of England's brightest hopes at fullback for a long time, hacking down a winger in a tired fashion because he's not quick enough to get the better of him or hasn't got the now to step across him. There was something that felt really poignant. And I'm like, that, that's not where Luke Shaw should be at this point of his career. You know where he should go? Abroad, Spain. Barcelona. I need a left back. Do you know what? That wouldn't be a bad... I'm being a little bit naughty there, but I think a move, and I think a move abroad would probably do him quite, quite good. And I think Spain... The only reason I, I wouldn't want to go to Barca is because they wouldn't forgive him. They wouldn't forgive him for being... Yeah, but he'd replace Jordi Alba. So I think he, everyone would be like, fucking yes, yes. Oh yeah, my God. he'd get the tomato treatment. You know he would. Yeah, but you, to be honest, man, Barcelona at the moment, the way that they feel about Jordi Alba, they could stick me at left back. And I'd be like, <laughs> Some would argue that they have. <laughs> wow. Shots. Shots. Wow. Shots. Hey, listen, at least I can do more kick-ups than Serginho Dest. It is on ceremony. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Was it, really, it was really wet, wasn't it? It was really wet and terrible. That's, that's one of the most, that's one of the most, like, I swear I've had nightmares about that before, signing for a club and just not being able to get the ball under control and do any kick-ups at all. So, and it just kind of dribbling away every few seconds. 
Yeah. Or doing kickups that aren't that fancy because you've got to do some fancy stuff, don't you, at Barca? Yeah. Uh, one quick thing before we take another break, because we're going so long today again. Maybe we're going to break our record for the longest ever. Oh my studio. goodness. Gary Neville could not figure out how to say drag back. He kept saying foot drag and Martin Tyler had to correct him saying, I think it's a drag back. And do you know what it reminded me of? You know when you're in like a club and someone does a reload and someone's just like, I don't like spin backs. Spin backs, yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, it's a wheel or it's a reload. Re- it's a drag back, Gary. <laughs> Actually, sorry, while we're laughing at Gary Neville, just sparing a thought for one of his um, beloved co-pundits, Jamie Carragher. I want to just mention this very quickly. What was really hilarious Jamie Carragher was like, sort of, kept predicting how bad the game would get. He goes, oh, yeah, it's five, but you know, it could be six or seven. And then it kept happening. And he, he kept saying things. He, like, Shut up, Carragher. What are you doing, it, man? Castledamas, because eventually he sort of stopped predicting things because he was like, he kind of knew. No yeah, he just knew. Yeah, then there was nothing more. <laughs> I mean, I haven't even checked the expected goals in that game, but it easily could have been 10, yeah. which is kind of wild. We need to take another break because we're going super long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't even talked about Bielsa. <gasps> this episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Do you want to talk about Bielsa and Pep? Leeds versus Manchester City. Yeah, I do. I do. 1-1. I can't believe this has come this far down the order and it was probably one of the best games of football I've seen. Oh, I'm so happy for Marcelo Bielsa. I'm so happy for Leeds United. They're just a thrill. Do you know what I love about them? On Saturday night, I had such a lovely evening. You know that if you watch Leeds United on a Saturday evening, you're going to have a nice evening. Like that is, mm. that, and there's something you can't put, and it sounds a bit cheesy, but I had the loveliest time just watching Leeds really go for it against City. And I was like, this is why football's come back. This is a reason yeah. it's come back. It's not just for the kind of, for the financial benefits, but just for like, you could sit on a nice evening and watch a brilliant team go at it and really try and win and be unafraid. That's the thing about Bielsa's teams. They're never, ever afraid. And I watched this game and went over to the local, like after the game, I went over to the, like sort of the Cretan restaurant around the corner for me. It's like three minutes walk from my front door. I just sat in a lovely meal and just reflected on the game and thought, thanks Leeds. Like, thanks Bielsa. Did you eat it crouched down? <laughs> the Bielsa crouch, the squat king, the squat party. Squat goals. <laughs> squat goals. <laughs> squat goals. <laughs> Can I say Leeds? <laughs> Just, they really work you out, like, as in give you a good workout. Like, playing leads is extreme cardio. The funniest thing, and I said this on Twitter, the funniest thing, <laughs> I'm not laughing at Kevin De Bruyne, but I kind of am. The amount of times in the game where he was like, well, okay, I'm just going to like put this passing move, oof, and then someone just came and snapped the ball away. <laughs> Do you know what it was like? It's like, it's like, 
doing a Peloton intense workout whilst also <laughs> doing a Sudoku puzzle and solving a Rubik's cube. That's what it feels like playing League. You know? You've got to do it all at the same time. <laughs> You've got an iPad in one hand doing the Sudoku. You got a Rubik's cube in the other, and you're still doing a Peloton thing with some absolute jacked jock in a Peloton vest, being like, "Push it, push, push it!" it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, ah, one at a time, please. Like this is where it's just like, oh my god, one at a time. Like, just give me one problem to solve. And I think you saw this. Like, do you remember? Do you remember the Athletic Barca game? Of course, of course. 2011. Yeah, one of my favorite games of football ever, ever. Yeah. This was the Premier League's version of that, I think. I really, I just wanted this game to go on for like another hour. I mean, it kind of did. It felt, it felt eternal. Like the intensity of it was just, I mean, what was so interesting about Leeds is they make everyone, well, any Bielsa team, they will make every team look ordinary. And this is the thing. This is the danger of playing Leeds early in the season. They demystify you early. They demystified Liverpool, right? I wonder if the 7-2 happens if Leeds don't go at Liverpool like that. I really wonder. You know, you look at the legacy and it's interesting because Bielsa didn't get the benefits. It's almost like a microcosm of his career. He didn't get the benefits of beating Liverpool, but other teams got the benefit. So Dean Smith looks at it and goes, oh, that's actually going to work. Goes and perfects it. Bang. But Bielsa was the battering ram. I think we said this before, didn't we? Like football is a copycat sport. People see how you dismantle something and Bielsa has given them the blueprint. And now people are piling into that gap. This is why, thank God, they have Tiago because Tiago helps you plug that gap. And, you know, him getting back is a real, real um, priority. Yeah, they missed him and Mane. Yeah, it's a Mad huge, effect. huge priority for them. But yeah, the back to Bielsa, this is Brendan Rodgers as well. It's the, he's got in common with Bielsa. They make very good teams look ordinary. Yeah. You know, Leicester ruthlessly exposed City. Now, no one, no one for a second, I think in a weird way, the 5-2 defeat was really bad for City. But in its own strange way, this was worse because, I mean, the 5-2 defeat was horrible for City, right? But this team went toe-to-toe. You can say, okay, well, they counterattack. That's what they do. Let Jamie Vardy getting in behind, man-marking Rodri, blah, blah, blah. But Leeds went at City with a full, like, they went, was it, was, it, was that lyric by the great MC Getz? I do it bareface, no mask on. Leeds basically did this. They robbed the bank bareface. This was what was so impressive. Like, they played on the front foot and in a league where the high line may be reconsidered now again as a strategy, it's going to be more important to be able to play big teams on the front foot because they might not give you that room. They might sit a bit deeper and Leeds are like, yeah, we can do that too. But they've been, they've been so entertaining in every match I've seen them in. Like they've gone at Sheffield United who are like so resilient and bless Sheffield United, but their lack of goals is going to be a real problem for them, unfortunately, in a league because this is going to be a firepower league. Leeds have shown they've got goals and they have no fear. I love, I, I just love this Leeds team. I love it. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. I have nothing to add to that at all. He's I meant mean, to be a United fan. <laughs> they face Wolves next after the international break, which I think is going to be a really interesting. So tasty. Arsenal play Man City. There's obviously a Merseyside derby. Some big fixtures coming back. Great win for Arsenal over Sheffield United as well. Uh, yeah, just Arsenal winning when they're playing dreadful is I'll take at the moment. Um, I want to shout out West Ham United. No, no wait, so, sorry, sorry for allow... a second. You'll always take that. Sorry to be, sorry to jump in there. That's huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, huge. No, yeah. come, no, sorry. Wait a minute. Sorry, sorry. Arsenal fans, Arsenal playing badly and winning. That's, that's what we call championship form. 
before we move on from that, uh, yeah. basically, I think David Luiz should have got sent off. But I also think that um, I think I, I think David Luiz was a definite sending off. But I also think Sander Berger should have been sent off for his tackle on Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, which not a lot of people on Sky were talking about after the game. So you didn't blame foreigners for that one. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. West Ham should probably never let David Moyes back in the dugout because they've been unbelievable since he's had COVID. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really great result. And he's someone you want to do well and West Ham deserve a bit of joy. And he's got a tune out of those players. You look at um, Mihal Antonio, he's been on a great run in the recent months. And that's the thing. You look at players that substantially improved, that's a sign of really fine coaching. And they've managed to do that. So, um, yeah, for some funny results for West Ham. So they beat Wolves 4-0, obviously, and then lost 4-1 to Everton. Which is actually not a bad result in the context of how good Everton actually are. Yeah, and also it was the Cup, the EFL Cup, so who cares? But in terms of their two league games, seven goals, none conceded since Moyes has Super been impressive. doing it via Zoom. Amazing. Before we move on from the Premier League, let's finally shout out. Let's shout out Southampton, beat West Brom 2-0. Really good win for them. Uh, Wolves, Fulham, Wolves scraped a 1-0 win. I want to big up Steve Bruce. Newcastle beat Burnley 3-1. I enjoyed this game, actually. Burnley are struggling, man. Yeah. Could it be harsh? In a league of chaos, you need the firepower to exploit the chaos. And that's the early pattern so far, isn't it? Ashley Barnes made his first Premier League appearance, I think, since like January. He's been out for ages with injury. Um, I'm not sure about Burnley. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe Maybe this is the year that they struggle. I can't figure them out. I can't figure a lot of people out though, to be honest. But um, last but not least, Chelsea 4, Palace no. We not even spoke about Chelsea. And that was funny because the first half they were getting absolutely like tarred and feathered and they pulled through. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my God, Lampard is, he's absolutely screwed it. And they emerge. The things Chelsea won without fully hitting the heights. A start for Hudson Odoi. <laughs> There's nothing like a bid from the European champions to uh, get you a starting place. But how does Hudson Odoi feel? Because, I mean, this is, can I sound a bit harsh here? You're starting regularly behind Mason Mount, and the European champions are not breaking the bank to go after Mason Mount, and they're going after you. If we're going to be really harsh and be like, like Hudson Odoi must be thinking, hang on a minute, like, I come on, I change games, I do cool stuff. Where are my starts? Like, like I'm in demand. Like, he can legitimately say, and here are the thing, Bayern aren't clowns. Bayern know, they don't, they don't often, they don't often do duds in the transfer market. You know, no. They know what they're, they, they generally know what they're doing. And they don't tend to spend money that big unless they're sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, like great win for Chelsea. Really nice little flick for uh, Havertz to get, to win the penalty. I loved that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all very quiet about Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz now. It's almost like he's, nice. mm, almost like he's good. Hmm. Mm, interesting. <laughs> um, mm. I quite enjoyed Aspilicueta's just being pure captain mode, being like, not looking Tammy Abraham in the eye and just being like, no, Tammy, no, Jorginho is the penalty taker. He pushed away Werner as well, wasn't penalty. it? I think. With a two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. The guy I want to shout out the most is Ben Chilwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And I thought his delivery, or his deliveries are going to be a really real weapon for Chelsea this season because yeah. he was straight on corners and free kicks. And I thought he was. Super impressive, really nice goal as well. And with that, we can wrap the Premier League. Oh my goodness, that's epic. And we're not, we don't have a lot of time to go elsewhere. Well, let's be fast. We'll be fast then. Let's go to the Bundesliga super quick and just touch on a couple of key games. After a dreadful 20 minutes, Dortmund ended up cruising to a 4-0 win against Freiburg and were genuinely brilliant. This was, I don't want to talk too much about Dortmund because it'll be, a lot of it will be in the ringer piece. However, Gio Reyna's best game in a Dortmund shirt. Amazing. 
And there have been glimpses there before. I don't think he's really disappointed at all since he's played for Dortmund. There was no Jaden Sancho on the weekend. And once Dortmund clicked into gear after about 20, 25 minutes, Rainer just ran the show. I love Absolutely it. ran the show. But not just defensively. He, I think, I think he made more tackles than anyone on the pitch. And him and Haaland, yeah, like we mentioned earlier on the show, man, there are signs there. And this is kind of the thing about the piece is that there is something genuinely, genuinely exciting to a level that I can't remember really seeing from a number of clubs in Europe before. The chemistry that Holland has with other players, with Sancho, with Reyna, Bellingham was really good again. Both Holland goals are kind of becoming a bit of a trademark Holland goal now. Remember the first game of the season when they broke for the final one against Gladbach? Yes. Sancho carried the ball the whole way yes. and he just well-weighted pass into the channel. Holland makes that run behind the defender, left of the post and slots it away. Yep. Both of his goals were like that, yep, basically. Yep. They were both very similar moves, but the, the assists came from Rayner. Emre Chan got a header for the second, which was also from a Rayner corner, which meant that Rayner was the first 17-year-old ever to score, uh, ever to register three assists in the Bundesliga. Holland was on a hat-trick. He had one that was very similar to the one that he put away against PSG, actually. But it went just wide. And then right at the end, in stoppage time, he was clean through on goal, on a hat-trick, squared it. it for Felix Paslak. Love it. I love it. Which I just thought, something quite symbolic there. And this makes me feel like, this is kind of the, the thing of the piece, like, I really hope there's a WhatsApp group and I really hope those boys are talking. Yeah. Because as we saw with Bayern against Hertha, Bayern maybe not looking quite as invincible as we thought they were. Yeah, they won the game, but to concede three goals at home against Hertha, they're going to be especially more, yeah, after conceding yeah. the, the amount of goals they scored, they conceded last week against Hoffenheim. Maybe this isn't as cut and dried as we thought. I don't think it is. I think there's blood in the water. On one level, for people chasing Bayern, a bit of frustration, they didn't drop points against Hertha. But you look at that Bayern performance and you still think, yeah, you're going to drop points. You're going to lose yeah. games. You're going to draw games. It's just going to happen. It will because teams are just too smart. Like, you know, Hurt have leveled up and also like back to Dortmund as well. The combinations they're developing all over the field, the understanding between even Jude Bellingham and other players already is incredible. But, you know, the Rainer Holland thing, it feels like Gertz Lewandowski. Because, you know, it's, it's so weird how things go cyclical in football, isn't it? How often have you had a player that kind of is a, a kind of 10 in some ways, so like an old, creating goals from an old-fashioned 10 position. And it's so weird how football's revolved again that we've got like Reina feeling like an old-fashioned 10 at times in terms of the, the, the relationship with the striker. Like for me, a number 10 isn't so much, it, it's positional, but it's also the relationship you have with your nine. And Reina has that. And it's incredible that we're more excited at this point in time, not, not overall, but more excited in this particular moment about the combination between Reina and Holland than the combination Sancho and Holland. Just right now, just this week. Yeah, I think also maybe, I mean, obviously because Sancho hadn't played the last two games and I think yeah. Reina was great in both. And I think also just because there's been so much noise about Sancho and a lot of people expect him to move soon. Yeah. I mean, even though I don't think please stay, I mean, Lord, please stay put, please stay put, Jadon. Like, I, I mean, he's got a, he's got a contract till twenty twenty three. They do not need to sell him for another two years. No, really. Um, super briefly, Gladbach won the derby against Cologne three one in Cologne. Leipzig beat Schalke four 0 Schalke, oh, Schalke. I, I think Schalke. I, I can't. I really can't see where the improvements coming from Schalke. But we will touch on the Bundesliga in more depth, no doubt, through the season when yeah. the when the Premier League stops playing up. Um, quickly in Spain Barcelona and Sevilla drew one all it's a big point for Sevilla that Real Madrid beat Levante 2-0 but opening weekend for the uh, women's Primera 
which saw the first game for Real Madrid against Barcelona in yeah. it's not really the classic. Don't, yeah, don't call it the classic. Oh my god. It's not no. The no, 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 God, no. Like, <laughs> for those who for those who are unaware that Real Madrid purchased Tacon before last season, but they played last season out as Tacon. They're now Real Madrid. Uh, they lost 4 0 on the opening weekend to Barcelona. But really Atleti Barcelona is the kind of the women's classico. It felt a bit like Arsenal Spurs in the cup this one actually. Yeah. In terms of like it was 4 0, but actually the scoreline is slightly harsh on Real in the sense that you know, they, they broke through quite late. I think it took mm. like 50 odd minutes to get the first goal. And then after that, it was kind of plain sailing. But they gave a good account of themselves, I thought, Real. Yeah, I agree. Considering they are way behind the development of Barcelona and Atleti, it's going to take time. This isn't going to be, you know, people coming to it from the men's, it's, they're, they're operating on different trajectories at the moment. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. Quickly to the Women's Super League, Manchester United won 3-0, Tobin Heath with the assist for Alicia Russo. So the new signings are starting to click already yeah. for Manchester United against Brighton, which is not a, that's not a bad win that at all. Not at all. Uh, Manchester City beat Spurs 4-1, two for Chloe Kelly. Sam Mewis has started to really, really click. She was absolutely unbelievable against Arsenal midweek. Mm, City looks scary. And Chloe Kelly yeah. with a great penalty technique as well. Yeah. Oh, there you go, that, that, yeah, I mean, that, wow. I mean, that's, if you get a chance, um, check that out. That's a really great penalty she took. Rose Lavelle came on again for her, for the last half hour. They're easing her in slowly, but she's starting to appear for Manchester City. God help everyone else. Arsenal beat Bristol City 3-1. Massive improvement from last season for Bristol City. You got absolutely hammered. That was the, was it Miedemar's six goals and... Yeah, four assists. Four assists. Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. goal was unbelievable. Someone tweeted on the weekend, I think it might have been Amy Ruskell, who said that... Um, Miedemar is the most complete footballer in the women's game. Hard to disagree sometimes. Well, equally comfortable being a 10 as a 9. Or, yeah, or, or, or a provider. Even dropping, yeah, yeah, equally comfortable. Her finish, if you haven't seen it, I retweeted it. Go and check out Miedemar's goal. It was goal. so easy. It was so easy. It was just so nonchalant. Chelsea beat Birmingham 1-0. Frank Kirby scored really early on and then they kind of just ground the game out. Birmingham gave him a real game. And it's making things quite interesting in the Women's Super League because we said before as well that Everton won again. Everton have not conceded a single goal in the Super League this season. They've scored 11, they've conceded none. They're the only side to yet to concede a goal. They're the only other side apart from Arsenal maximum points who are top. So Arsenal is top with a goal difference of plus 15. Uh, Chelsea third, Manchester United fourth, Manchester City fifth on goal difference. It's such a good league. It's so good. I would thoroughly recommend watching the Women's Super League if, yeah. for people who haven't checked it yet it's um, a lot of games are unless they're being shown on your national broadcaster or a broadcaster in your country they're all on the FA player online free to access while we're talking about Samuels her sister Kersey had a starring role in the um, National Women's Soccer League uh, uh-huh. yeah yeah so they beat um, the Houston Dash beat um, North Carolina Courage 4-1 which is funny because for those following the NWSL Challenge Cup like the Dash won but they were kind of seen as the outsider and the Courage were like the front runner and it's weird because watching this game, you're kind of thinking, actually, maybe, <laughs> maybe they are the best team in the league. Like they absolutely blew them away. And uh, I was, when I saw Kirsty Mewis, I hadn't, I hadn't seen her play before. I'm not going to lie. I hadn't seen her, her games regularly. And they're like, yeah, they're like the sisters smashing it. So yeah, shout out to her and uh, shout out to the, um, shout out to the Dash. Speaking of Dash, we've had a Dash. Apologies to those who wanted to hear a little bit more about maybe Marseille-Lyon. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or a few other games. Serie A, Atalanta being Atalanta. Serie A, Atalanta. Yeah, my God, man. We've just... Milan doing the Lord's well, work. We didn't even talk about... Actually, we didn't even talk about the Juve-Napoli thing, which is weird. It is weird. Have they decided whether they're going to get the three points or not yet? The, the lead tables haven't been changed, so I'm not sure. I don't think they have changed. They haven't decided yet. Uh, maybe we'll save that for Thursday, huh? Go yeah, into yeah. that a little yeah, bit, yeah. because the first time it's happened in a league game, I believe. Yeah. Top-level league game since the new season started. So maybe that's going to... Maybe that's a sign for things to come with numbers rising. Yeah. Uh, let's bounce. Let's do it. Oh my goodness. Let's play out something vibey. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to play out on Zap Mama and Erica Badu. Oh, wow. Bandy Bandy. Carl Craig remix. Oh my God. Turn this one up. We'll let it roll for a little bit. Don't forget the ringer.com forward slash soccer. My piece will be up this week. Yep. Yep. We'll be back on Thursday. It's the international break. So what we're going to do is we're going to do conceptual ones through the international break. At Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, any slander at Okwonga on Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) any nice stuff at Ryan Hunt. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. It's still pretty wild out there. Yeah, and also, frankly, yeah, and staying hydrated as well. (laughs) Stay well, everyone. We'll see you Thursday. Take care. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, 
You don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.